Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series uh, that we have been in called Dreamer. Uh, didn't didn't our interns do an amazing job last Sunday? Man, that was awesome. We took a little break from the series and allowed them the opportunity to share with us, and it really was amazing. But we're going to pick back up with this series today. We've been talking about the fact that, um, that as the people of God, God deposits within us capacity. He deposits within us gift, potential. And uh, how do we live out that? How do we live out the things that uh, the Lord has put in our heart? We've been looking in particular at Joseph, and this was a man who was born uh, with a great deal of potential. Uh, when you read in Genesis about Joseph, you see someone who had uh, his life from the beginning had a great deal of promise. Uh, the kind of the visual or the picture is the man with the multicolored uh, coat. And of course, as we study Joseph's life, that's the picture of him that we, that we get in the beginning when we first learn about him is that here's this person who had been favored, who had potential. Uh, his father, those around him could see uh, that potential and that promise that existed in his life. And, and everyone in this room has potential. Everyone in this room has promise. Everyone in this room, even if, even if you wouldn't say this about yourself, every one of us have certain advantages in certain areas or ways in our life. I mean, uh, you could always look at your life and compare your life to those who have more than you or who are better than you. Uh, but the other side of that coin is that you can always compare yourself uh, to people who have less than you or less opportunity than you. And so no matter who you are, or where you are in the world, all of us can recognize and understand in any healthy way that we have certain advantages that other people uh, do not have, whether it be the home that we were born into, the time in history we were born, the place we were born, whatever may be the case. Yet all of those advantages uh, that Joseph were born, was born into didn't keep him from hardship. It didn't keep him from facing obstacles. And so the question for every one of us in this room is that if we are people of promise, if we are people of potential, if we are people who have advantages, how do we, in spite of the hardship that we have in our life, still live out the potential that we have? Joseph had a dream early in life. And if you know the story, it seems that the very dream that he had, the existence of that dream, the existence of the promise and the potential in his life attracted opposition. His very dream, the, the thing that God put inside of him, attracted problems and it attracted pain. And we've learned a few principles over the last several weeks about how from Joseph's life, he dealt with that pain and he dealt with those obstacles and he learned to live out the potential. And so we want to dive a little bit deeper into this concept today. Our core idea that we're wrestling with in this series can really be summed up with this statement. Every person is born with potential and promise. The question that we wrestle is, is will you cooperate with the process of transformation that is necessary in your life, that is necessary in my life for me to reach the potential for me to reach the, the, the promise, for me to reach whatever it is uh, that I've been advantaged with in my life. Now, if you think about the broader narrative of Joseph's story, um, and you think about the fact that, that he was favored uh, from the beginning, his father gave him the coat of many colors. And, and from the beginning of the narrative or the story, we see that Joseph had a dream. He was given insight 
into the future. So he had this, he had this promise, he had this potential, he had this favor that rested on his life, and then he had this insight. And that favor and that insight separated him from everyone else in his life. So those things brought advantages to him, but those things also got him into trouble. And as you think about how it got Joseph into trouble, we see that his coat of many colors and the insight, the dream that he had, caused people to be jealous of him. But it also set him up in such a way that it isolated him. I mean, think about it as we've read the story or we've been learning about Joseph's life. Because of his lack of finesse and how he told his story and how he shared his dream, because of his lack of finesse in the way that he dealt with his family members, it caused his family to hate him. It specifically says, and we learned it during the first week of this series, that his brothers hated him because of his first dream, and then because of his second dream, they hated him even more. Isn't it quite a paradox to think about the fact that Joseph's dream, his favor, his insight, made his life worse. Think about that for a second. When you talk to people, they, they will tell you, oh, I want to I wanna be blessed. I wanna be. How many of you, let's, let's have a moment of honesty. How many of you have ever prayed for favor? Let's see your hand. Raise it up really high. Now think about this for a second. Keep your hand up. I know your arm's tired. It's okay. I do this for about 45 minutes. You'll, you'll be okay. Think about it. All these people prayed for favor. Joseph was hated. People were jealous of him because of favor. I don't, I'm thinking about it. Maybe load shedding y'all's fault. How many of you have ever prayed for South Africa to be blessed, to have favor? Think about this. Let your, let your brain wrestle with this paradox for a moment. It was Joseph's very state of being favor attracted opposition and hardship. You better think about what you're praying for. You ever heard the expression, favor ain't fair? Some of y'all like to say that. Oh, I'm getting favor of God. Favor ain't fair, baby. Get that front parking spot. It's favor of the Lord. But we don't consider the consequences. That person who walks by your car and keys it because you're in the front parking spot that they wanted. Right? We read these stories about Joseph. We, we, we read these stories in Scripture about prosperity and blessing. We don't understand that there's another there's another side to that story. And as we've been looking at the life of Joseph, we've come to understand that, yes, favor is good and blessing is good and insight is good, but there's a weight of responsibility that comes with it. And when you're not prepared and capable of handling the weight of responsibility of the dream, of the favor, of the blessing, that sometimes that that fate that 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 favor that that blessing can become disastrous in your life 
Some of us don't realize that the things, the very things that we're seeking, the very things that we're praying for also attracts opposition into our lives. And some of us don't understand that it is the process whereby God qualifies us and positions us to live out his purposes for our life that is also causing us to deal with opposition. Genesis chapter 39, verses 20 through 30. 23 says this, uh, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. Now, remember the story up until this point. Joseph's brother has, has sold him into slavery. He's gone into slavery. He was a slave in Potiphar's house, but because of favor and because of insight, he has been elevated. He gets to the highest place that he can be in Potiphar's house. He's walking in blessing. He's doing everything righteous. He's doing everything right, and yet he's falsely accused. And then he's thrown in prison. So before the next time you judge somebody who's in jail, maybe you should ask a question. I'm not literally talking about in jail. But figuratively, religious people, before you judge somebody going through hardship, you might want to ask some questions first. And climb off your religious high horse. Because there's nowhere in Scripture that says if a person's dealing with difficulty of hardship, it means because they've sinned or they're away from God. Stop being religious. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. It's not in the Bible. It's the opposite of the Bible. It's religious garbage that isolates people from God. It's judgmentalism. It's the way of the enemy. That's not even in my notes. I just got, I got excited about that. Man, judgy people get on my nerves. Religious people get on my nerves. People who just make stuff up that's not in the Bible and then say it as if it's in the Bible just gets on my nerves. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to my notes. Joseph's in jail for something he didn't do. He gets thrown into the prison of, the, of Pharaoh's house. So he's now in the, the worst jail that he can be in. And so he's, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. Do you see a pattern? You see a pattern. The enemy just keeps trying to take him out, and God just keeps elevating him. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So once again, we see the same pattern in Joseph's life happening in, in the jail of Pharaoh that happened in Potiphar's house. God's hand was on Joseph. Joseph was a man of integrity and character. Yes, he was growing. Yes, he was developing. But because of the favor of the Lord, because the Lord was good and kind toward him, he just kept being elevated. And once again, the person that he's there to serve says, this guy is so trustworthy, I don't even have to worry about it. I just have a question for you. Do the people in your lives trust you so much that they can put you in charge of things and walk away and not have to worry about it? 
When's the last time your boss didn't have to check on you because they trusted you so much? When's the last time mom and dad didn't have to ask you if you studied for your test because they knew you had the character to do what you were supposed to be doing, whether they checked on you or not? So this is the kind of man that Joseph was. The people in his lives who had authority trusted him so much they didn't even have to worry about it. Wow, is there a lesson? Is there a lesson in there? I want to be a dreamer. I want to do great things for God. It seems as though Joseph, who is the very typology of Christ, if you understand if you understand biblical theology at all, you understand that Joseph is a typology of Christ. Joseph himself demonstrated the kind of character that said he could be trusted. And as a result of that character, he kept getting elevated. Some of us aren't getting elevated because we can't be trusted. Again, that's just not in my notes. That's just bonus stuff right there. We're not, we're not living out our dream because we can't be trusted. In chapter 39, we see this repeated concept that every one of us must understand. Joseph was stripped of his robe. He was sold into slavery. But, get this, God was with him. He was falsely accused. He was cast into prison. And yet, God was with him. People in his life sold him out, yet God was with him. See, here's the thing. Status always trumps your state of being. As a dreamer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to understand that your status, remember we talked about it in week one, your identity as a child of God always trumps your state of being. And Joseph continued to live like somebody who, who was in charge even when he was a slave, even when he was in prison. He continued to conduct himself as somebody who was not in jail and was not in prison and who could be trusted. Even though the enemy kept saying, this is a man who can't be trusted, Joseph continued to live like somebody who could be trusted. And as a result of living like someone who could be trusted, people kept trusting him anyways. His brothers say, you can't trust this guy. He goes and he gives dad a false report. Let's throw him, let's throw him in the pit. Let's sell him into slavery. Potiphar says, I don't know what y'all are talking about. I can trust this guy. Potiphar's wife comes along. She doesn't get what she wants. And so she says, this guy tried to, he tried to violate me. Let's throw him in prison. He goes to prison for being someone who would violate Potiphar's wife. And the prison guard says, I don't know what you're talking about. This guy can clearly be trusted. When you're a dreamer who's following in the pattern of Christ, you continue to live like Christ regardless of if you're in a prison. You don't care about what other people say about you. You live up to what God has said about you. Some of us are so concerned with what others are saying about us that we cannot live up to what God has said about us. Some of us live our lives obsessed with what other people are saying about us. We run around and we're bitter and we're angry and we're twisted up all the time because we're concerned about what others are saying about us instead of what God has said about us. And you know what happens when you live your life concerned about what others are saying about you? 
is you become the very thing they say about you. They keep putting you in prison, and over time, you start acting like a prisoner. They keep calling you a loser, and over time, you become a loser. They call you a liar over and over again, and you get so used to defending yourself that there becomes a moment when you realize that you can't defend yourself because it's ingrained in you that you got to defend yourself instead of allowing God to fight for you. You find yourself lying so you can prove that you're not a liar. You become the very thing that you intended not to be. You violate your character You violate who God has created you to be. Who you are is far more important than where you are. I'm going to say that again. Who you are is far more important than where you are. Dreamers who live out the identity of Christ, who follow in Jesus' footsteps, dreamers like Joseph who eventually live out the dream are people who understand that it's more important who I am than where I am. We've talked about it repeatedly in this series. As children of God, we must lean into the reality that our identity is defined by God and what God has said about us and purposed in his heart for us, not how others receive us, Not how others respond to us. Not even how others treat us. Here's the thing, friend. The purposes of God are irrepressible. This truth, the Lord has settled in my heart so much, really over the last 24 months. The purposes of God are irrepressible. I've, my whole life, I've heard... Uh, the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. God, we sang it earlier, God doesn't fail. God accomplishes his, his purposes. But something just triggered in me over the last 24 months that I've come to understand that the purposes of God are irrepressible. There's nothing the enemy can do to stop what God desires to do. And, and here's the thing, even in, in my little time frame, the 70, 80, 90, 100, how many ever years I have on this earth, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if I see it in my lifetime. The purposes of God are going to be accomplished over time and space and human history and beyond human history. God is going to do what he set out to do and there's nothing the enemy can do to stop it. And here's what's so incredible is even when the enemy thinks that he is stopping it, what he's actually doing is enabling it. Again, you got to get this because your theology, your biblical understanding has to grow. Joseph is a type, he's a pattern for what's going to come later in Jesus. The enemy kept thinking, I'm going to take this guy out. I'm going to put him in the pit. I'm going to put him in prison. I'm going to do, I'm going to put him in Potiphar's house where his, his, his character is going to be assassinated. Let me just keep putting him in this position where he's going to be taken out. See what God is doing? God is moving Joseph from this arrogant 17-year-old who's completely has no self-awareness, no capacity to love and care for the people around him and live out the purposes of God. God moves him from that place to a pit. But guess what's happening? He's getting closer to the palace. And the enemy says, oh, that's not good enough. He's being elevated. Let's put him in prison. But guess what? He's getting closer to the palace. And he's getting elevated. He's getting elevated in prison. And the enemy's like, let's take him out. 
And all the while, God's moving him closer to the palace. See, even, even when the enemy is working against me, God is working for me. Remember, Joseph's a picture of Jesus. Oh, oh let's, let's crucify him. Let's, let's put him on the cross. All right, go for it. That's fine. You put him on the cross. What do you do? You're enabling what his purpose was, which was to pay the price that you and I couldn't pay. The enemy's celebrating, I killed him, I killed him, I killed him. God's like, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. See, that's how great God is when God purposes something. Even his purposes are irrepressible. And even when the enemy thinks he's won, all the enemy's doing is playing into the purposes of God. You get into Genesis chapter 40 and you start to see here, here Joseph is. He's in prison. He's in prison in Pharaoh's house. And, and God says, I, I'm not done with Joseph. In fact, I'm moving Joseph toward the fulfillment of the dream that I've placed in Joseph's heart. And um, here's the thing. As a dreamer, my in my life, my life has to come into alignment with whatever dream that God has given me. And, and so in chapter 40, Joseph's in prison and, and God does what God's doing in his life. He blesses Joseph and Joseph is elevated once again to the point that the captain of the entire jail says, let me just put Joseph in charge. And here are these VIP prisoners. Uh, Pharaoh says, I'm um, I don't know what they did, but Pharaoh says, I'm offended by the chief baker and I'm offended by the chief cupbearer, so I'm going to throw them in, I'm going to throw them in prison. And the Bible says that after a little while of them being in prison, uh, that, that they had a dream. Genesis chapter 40, verses 4 and 5 says this, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. So Joseph is now in charge of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, let, let all the pieces of this story start to come together for you. Remember, it was a dream that got Joseph in trouble to begin with. Joseph went from being the guy who himself had two dreams that so offended and alienated the people in his life that they threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery to now he's in the place of being confronted with two more dreams. His dream, his two dreams created a cycle of pain, not just for him, but his dreams created a cycle of pain for everybody around him. Remember, his dad went into deep mourning because of his death, and Scripture says he never got over it. His brothers undoubtedly had great shame because of what they did to Joseph. We see in the story later that they continue to wrestle with the shame. Understand that his dream... And his inability to navigate his dream at 17 years old started a pattern of dysfunction in his life. And here he is, once again, being confronted with two dreams. Now he's serving the shamed 
chief officials of the king. He's serving the shame chief of the bakers and chief of the cupbearers. The most powerful man in the world at that time, Pharaoh, and here Joseph is serving those who had offended that man. Wouldn't you know it? Here this story is, and there's a dream again. I want to share something with you that maybe you've never considered before. Did you know that your pain will create proximity and reveal a path to your purpose? No, Randy, I don't, I don't believe in a gospel of pain. I believe in a gospel of prosperity. Well, I don't, I don't know where you get that because that's not in the Bible. Because the gospel that's in the Bible is a gospel of pain. You can't take the cross out of the gospel. There is no gospel without a cross. Joseph as a pattern of Jesus and Jesus as a pattern for your life and my life demonstrates for us that the pathway to the purpose that God has for us is through pain, not by avoiding pain. We love a false gospel that says we can avoid pain. The problem is it is a false gospel. I, want, I just want to ask you, because everyone in this room has pain, we all have that in common. Would you rather me lie to you and preach a gospel that acts as if that didn't happen? Would you rather me act like you were never abused? Would you rather me act like you, you never have dealt with financial hardship? Would you rather us pretend like your car never broke down or you never had a flat tire? Or the water never went off? Would you rather us behave delusional as if we don't live in the world? As if we don't live in a broken world? But here's the gospel. The gospel says, yes, we live in this world, but we are not of this world. The gospel isn't this delusional idea that we don't live in the world. No, the gospel says you are in this world. And here's what Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Joseph, Joseph's pain actually was a part of the process of God creating proximity in his life so that he could be on a path that led to his purpose. I just want to ask you to consider, just consider for a moment that your pain has a purpose. Oh, Randy, I, I don't want to believe in a God like that. I, I don't want to believe, well, whether you believe in it or not, your pain exists. So would you rather your pain have a purpose or would you rather live delusional and pretend as if it never happened? Joseph, Randy, are you saying God did this to me? No, I'm not saying God did this to you. I'm saying that when it happened, he was with you. Man, if you can just get that. Did God throw Joseph in prison? No, Potiphar's wife lied about him, and Potiphar threw him in prison. But what Scripture says is that God was with him when it happened. 
What scripture says is that when it happened, God continued to journey with him and God took what was meant for his evil and turned it for his good. Took what was meant for his evil and said, let me use that to get him to the place that I want him to be, which is in proximity to Pharaoh. If we could reframe our pain, perhaps we could be healthy enough to allow God to move us through it so we can move towards our purpose. Rather than pretending it didn't exist, if we could understand that while it was happening, Scripture's story over and over again is that God was with us and God is taking it th us through it so that he can use us. If we could reframe our pain, perhaps we could know our purpose. When Pastor Brian was here earlier in the year, for those of you who don't know, Pastor Brian is the lead pastor of North Place Church in Saxey, Texas, our mother church. When he was here, he used a phrase. He said, we have to learn that nothing is wasted with God. Nothing is wasted. Your pain is not wasted. Your process is not wasted. The God that you serve is the kind of God who goes with you wherever you go and takes whatever you experience it and turns it towards your good, turns it towards his purposes and plans for your life and my life. See, what happens for Joseph is he experiences the pain of having a dream and not knowing how to process that dream. And now he's confronted with two men who have a dream and are also in pain because they don't know how to process this dream. The secret that I believe we learn from Joseph's life is this. The secret is found in doing for others what you cannot do for yourself. Is it possible that along the way of development in your life that God is putting you in a position that God is putting you in a position to multiply your life, to use you in incredible ways, and he's putting you in a position to do for others what you cannot do for yourself so that he can teach you what he's about to do through you. Is it possible? I believe it is not only possible, I believe that it's biblical. I believe that it's the biblical model of Jesus that in serving, in surrendering to serving, we actually realize our purpose. Joseph all of a sudden went from being a frustrated dreamer to being a dream interpreter for other frustrated people. Think about that for a moment. He went from being a guy at 17 who had a dream that made everybody around him mad, who didn't know how to handle it, who didn't know how to interpret it, who didn't know what it meant, and get this, because his father's father and his brothers were like, hey, what do you mean by this dream? Remember that? And they began to interpret it themselves and they began to say, does Joseph actually believe that he's going to be in charge of us? And it was in the misinterpretation or more accurately, the lack of actual fullness of understanding of the dream, that the dream became the object of his persecution. And now here he is with people who don't know how to interpret the dream. And we see him all of these years later, and he's a different person. At 17, when others started filling in the blank for the dream, he didn't know how to handle it. 
and it created chaos in his life. Now, these guys don't know how to interpret the dream. And so instead of just letting the rumors fly, and instead of just allowing chaos to happen, Joseph begins to engage the dream because he's become a different person. He's become the kind of person that can do for others what he couldn't do for himself. And notice Joseph's response to the baker. Notice his response to the cupbearer. Joseph didn't say, oh, let me interpret that dream for you. Joseph didn't say, I've got this figured out. Let me fill in the blanks. No, this is what Joseph said. Um, doesn't God know? Isn't, isn't God the one who's in charge of all of this? So tell me your dream and we'll let God interpret it. Joseph understood by this point in his life not to allow those around him to just go willy-nilly saying whatever they wanted about the dream. Now Joseph, all these years later, understands it's God that gives insight. See, here's the shift. When he was 17, Joseph got the dream and, and no, one knew, didn't, no one knew what to do with the dream. Insight became confusion at 17. At this point in his life, because of what he had lived through, undoubtedly, at this point in his life, Joseph said, oh, you got a dream and you don't know what it means? I know what to do about that. Let's ask God. Let's not fill in the blanks ourselves. Let's not make up the story ourselves. Let's ask God. Joseph said, we'll allow God to speak to us what that dream means because after all, isn't he the source? Multiplication in your life and in my life is only possible when the equation includes more than one. What's five times one? What's one times one? What's eight times one? What's one times one? See, if you only got one in the equation, you know what you're going to end up with? But if you got more than one in the equation, you're going to end up with more than one times one is, eight times one is. If you only, if you only have one in the equation, you're going to end up with but if you have something besides one in the equation, if you have one, eight times one, you end up with? You know the sad reality of Joseph's dream when he was 17? The sad reality of Joseph's dream when he was 17 was that that dream wasn't about Joseph. That dream was actually about how God was going to save his people. Was Joseph in the story? Yes. Was God going to use Joseph? Yes. But the point of the dream was not Joseph. Is it possible that perhaps the reason that some of us aren't living out the dream that God placed inside of us is because we're convinced that that dream is about us? Is it possible? Is it possible that we live our life every day as if we're the hero of the story? We tell our dream to other people 
as if we're the hero, as if it's about us? Is it possible that the path of fulfillment in your life and my life is frustrated because we've missed the point? Is it possible that we're living our lives every day doing one times one and trying to figure out why it isn't equaling two or seven or 642? Is it possible that the reason the equation isn't working is because all we have is one, me, in the equation? And as a result, I'm never getting to the dream. You see, in Joseph's dream, Joseph saw his brothers coming around. He saw all these things happening. There was more going on in the story. But when his brothers interpreted, even when his father interpreted, and Joseph, in his silence... All of it was about Joseph. It was about Joseph being bowed down to. But if you understand the biblical testimony, it wasn't about Joseph. Did, those, did, did part of that happen? Did God use Joseph? Yes, but that wasn't just about Joseph. It was about God's redemptive story and his redemptive process and his protection of his people. Is it possible that Joseph's path was a path of him learning that life's not all about me? Joseph had to learn that the world did not revolve around him. The process that he went through from the pit to Potiphar's house caused him to become a different kind of person. How do you know he became a different kind of person? Well, I know he became a different kind of person because when I read about him in chapter 40, he behaved differently around these two dreams than he did his dreams. How do you know that, Pastor Randy? Well, I know that because this is what happened. The scripture says that Joseph was put in charge of these guys, right? Just like he was in charge of his brothers, And when these guys had their dream, the next day, Scripture says, when Joseph saw them, he could see that they were distraught. When we first read about Joseph, there is no indication that he gave any care as to what was going on in anybody around him. He was so clueless that after he told his brothers the first dream, And the Bible says they hated him that when he had a second dream, he was so dense that he went ahead and told them the second dream anyways. He he lacked so much awareness, he wasn't paying attention to how his dream had affected his brothers. But now, all these years later, when the cupbearer and the baker come in, he can see that they're downcast. And the Bible says he asked them, what's going on? He had become a different kind of person. Life, prison, Potiphar's house, the pit had caused him to be the kind of person that cared about other people. It caused him to be the kind of person that when they came in the room, he looked at them and could, they didn't even have to say anything. He looked at them and could tell they were distraught. Is it possible that God has you in a process, that he has me in a process, that he's teaching you, that he's teaching me, that life's not about me, that I can never, I can never be the person to fulfill the dream as long as I live in a world that's all about me? Is it possible 
that I can never fulfill the dream as long as I am a person who doesn't see everybody else, who doesn't consider everybody else. Joseph had become the kind of person who considered others. And he became the kind of person that engaged others. He could see that they were hurting, and so he noticed them, and he asked them, what's going on with you? He engaged their pain. He engaged what was going on in their world, and it was only after engaging them, it was only after serving their pain that he was put on a path to alleviating his pain. And there's a deep truth right there. They were in pain, and he served their pain. And in serving their pain, he was put on a path where his pain could be alleviated in relation to his brother and his father. Joseph became the kind of person who noticed. He became the kind of person who engaged others' concerns. He became the kind of person that it wasn't all about them in literature and film. One of our favorite devices is the device of a hero. Every story has a hero, right? And we have a picture in our mind of who that hero is and what that hero is. And we think of, we think of the hero as this perfect, the perfect man or the perfect woman. And they do everything exceptional. Depending on your framework mentally and what, how your imagination works and the stories that you've been told or that you tell in your mind, when I say the word hero, you have a picture that comes to mind, what that person looks like, how that person talks. This hero, they don't do, they don't do anything wrong. Some of us, some of us struggle because we have hero syndrome and story's all about, it's all about us. Joseph went through a clear transformation in his life where he had two dreams in the beginning and those dreams were interpreted in light of Joseph and when it was about Joseph and self-centered, it led to chaos and pain in his life. But as he grew, as he developed, as he began to serve others, as he refused to be bitter and angry and believe the lie of the enemy, as he got to the place of serving others, he realized the source is God, and so I'm going to do for others what I can't do for myself. And he became a different kind of person in interpreting these dreams. It's not about, it's not about me. It's about God. It's about God's purposes being accomplished. And as we see this transformation in Joseph's life, many of us, many of us, because we've embraced that hero mentality, we, we live lives every day, not about others, we're self-obsessed, and our world feeds into that. Everything is about you. The reason everything is about you is because that's how the world motivates you to buy and sell and buy and sell. You're a commodity. Everything and everybody's a commodity to be used and abused. Now, some of you are you're really clever, like some writers and movie makers. You don't buy into the hero narrative. Instead, you buy into the anti-hero narrative. 
Some of you are really, really clever, like, like uh, Shakespeare, Shylock. And remember the character, uh, Shylock and the Merchant of Venice, instead of being the hero and the perfect figure, no, 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 you identify with, you identify with Shylock or you identify with, uh, I don't know, let's use a contemporary example or not so contemporary. Some of you, some of you are Dirty Harry. Remember those movies from the 70s? Or, or perhaps uh, Harley Quinn. Maybe that's more. Yeah. <laughs> or Deadpool. The antihero. Oh no, no, I'm not. No, Randy, I don't live my life that way. It's not all about me. I'm, I'm like the, you know, the antihero. I'm not per. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not. But still, Deadpool. It's still all about Deadpool. Shylock, still motivation was all about Shylock. It was their story. It was their biopic. It was their, it was their tale. Joseph went through a process of transformation where he had to learn. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about others. It's through God. It's only, it's only, it's through God that this dream is fulfilled. There's only one king. There's only one kingdom. There's only one God. And that's not me. And in my life and in your life, we're going to always, we're going to always deal with frustration and brokenness. Whether we identify with the anti-hero or we identify with the hero, whether we try to live up with that, try to live up to that perfect imperfection or we pursue that perfection, it, it doesn't matter as long as the story is about you. As long as your world centers around you, you'll never, I'll never fulfill my true purpose. Because there's only one king, there's only one hero. Last week our interns did such a great job teaching us from the book of Philippians and in chapter 2. Larissa quoted us this beautiful poem about Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 through 11 says, Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's only one king. There's only one kingdom. There's only one God. And it's not you and I. 
And whether we play the anti-hero or we play the hero, the story never works. The legend never really works until we place him at the center. Until we realize that it's not about us and we follow his pattern, his pattern of willingly allowing his life to become less so that it might become more. Of laying himself down so that his glory could be multiplied. I want to submit to you today, no matter who you are, if you're a person who's been following Jesus all of your life, and you're sitting there today and you're frustrated because there are things in your heart that just haven't happened, or if you're a person who's walked into this room today and perhaps you're not following Jesus, maybe you know about him, maybe you grew up in church, but today he's not your Lord, He's not your Savior. If you were to be really honest, has nothing to do with signing your name to a card or being dunked in water right here, right now, today. Your life is not surrendered to Him. And you're living in frustration. Whether you're the hero or the anti-hero, whether everyone thinks you're perfect or everyone celebrates your flaws, without Him at the center, you're never going to have peace. You're never going to have fulfillment. Or perhaps you're here today and you've never heard the gospel before. This is your very first time. The same message is true for you that is true for the person who grew up in this and either lives it or rejects it. The message is simple. On our own, on our own, we're never going to be enough. Through Him and through our surrender to Him, through our decrease, through our setting aside, our life we embrace the life that he has for us and in the life that he has for us not only do we live out our dream but we enable those around us we enable those around us to also be blessed instead of increasing pain and chaos we increase light and life